welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 303. You're perverse. He spat, his voice almost rising to unacceptable levels. God's mother, don't you know he cut apart living men to watch their organs work? I refuse to look at anything that monster was responsible for. I set the book down. You might as well give up studying medicine then, I said as gently as possible. Gibea's research on the human body was the most thorough ever done. His journals are the backbone of modern physique. Simmons' face stayed hard and he leaned forward so he could speak softly and still be heard. When the emir moved against the duke, they found the bones of 20,000 people, great pits of bones and ash. Women and children. Twenty thousand. Simon sputtered a bit before he could continue. And those are just the ones they found. I let him calm himself a bit before I said, Gebea wrote twenty-three volumes concerning the machinery of the body. I pointed out as gently as I could. When the emir moved against him, part of his estate burned. Four of those volumes and all his notes were lost. Ask Master Arwell what he would give to have those volumes whole again. Simon brought his hands down hard on the table, causing several students to look in our direction. Damn it, he hissed. I grew up 30 miles from Gabea. From my father's hills, you can see the ruins on a cloudless day. That stilled me. If Sim's family lands were that close, his ancestors must have been fealty-bound to Gabea. That meant they might have been forced to help him gather subjects for his experiments. Some of his family might have ended up in the pits of bone and ash themselves. I waited a long while before I whispered again. I didn't know. He regained most of his composure. We don't talk about it he said stiffly, brushing his hair out of his eyes. We bent to our studies, and it was an hour before Simmons spoke again. What did you find? he asked, too casually, as if not wanting to admit his curiosity. Here on the inner left, I whispered excitedly. I opened the cover and Sim's face twisted unconsciously as he looked down at the page as if the book smelled of death. Spilled it all over. I heard a voice as a pair of older students strolled into the hall. By their rich clothes, I could tell they were both nobility, and while they weren't shouting, they weren't making any effort to be quiet either. Anasat made him clear up the mess before he let him wash off. He'll smell like urea for a span of days. What's here to see? Simon asked looking down at the page. It's just his name and the dates. Not the middle. Look up at the top, around the edges of the page. I pointed at the decorative scroll work. Right there. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I have questions. Okie dokie. Well, mostly just, why on earth... Would Rothfuss put in this weird butt in about how Quoth is eavesdropping on the random rich kids? That's an excellent I'll tell question. you exactly why. 
I'll tell you exactly why, Jordana. I'm ready. It's because Quoth, Quoth raises his voice to shut them up, which gives Lauren a convenient excuse to come in and confiscate the book. Lauren always appears when Quoth is about to make a discovery about the Emir and kicks him out of the archives. Mm. And this is, is exactly about to happen. But this is a this is a pretext. And of course, Jeremy's going to go, no, he's just talking in the library. So of course the librarians to come kick him out. But uh, no, this is a convenient pretext for Lauren to come in and ban him because he's about to make a discovery about the Emir. All right. That's why. If you say so. I do. All right. On this page, we get a pretty neat example of the two opposing views on the the merits of the Duke of Gubea's experiments. I think Quoth comes squarely down into, look, it was the foundation of medicine, therefore the ends justified the means, and Simon, ever the bleeding heart lib, is aghast and finds the whole thing completely uh, disgusting and refuses to even engage with it. We learn also that he, he grew up within sight of Gubea's lands, and Quoth thinks he might have been a vassal, but I think it's more juicy if he's descended from Gibea. Hmm. I just want to provide some real-world con- context for the practice of vivisection in medicine. Vivisection being basically like doing experimental surgery on something while it's still alive and often without anesthetic, which is what is described by what Gibea did. Uh, so vivisection was pretty common It's pretty common in veterinary medicine and experimental medicine. Now it's legal to do vivisection on animals in a lot of places, although they usually require you to tranquilize the animal if it's going to suffer. Uh, A lot of animal rights groups uh, are against that for reasons I think we can all understand. In the 19th century, when modern medicine, as we understand it, was being developed, that's when the practice of experimenting on animals developed uh, and this sort of vivisection started because there are things that you could only learn about anatomy, mammalian anatomy, by experimenting on live animals, went the argument. Um, and the, the pioneers of this kind of science were hated in their own time because they were seen as like cruel uh, sadists, even by like other doctors. You're like, like the, what you're doing is not necessary. Um, and human vivisection has been practiced by some Greek anatomists in like ancient Greece. Um, and then infamously by uh, a succession of awful, uh, you know, regimes in the 21st, in the 20th century, notably unit 731 of the Japanese army, uh, Nazi uh, experiments and the Khmer Rouge. Uh, not great. In terms of Gabea's, like specifically the Gabea situation, like ends justifying the means scenario. Wouldn't the ends have to be the lives of more than 20,000 people saved in order for it to justify the means? Like 20,000 is a lot of people. Yeah, but think how many, like if you figure out the cure to a disease one time, then you cure that disease for everyone who's ever going to suffer from it. So if he, from like torturing one person to death, discovers the cure to a disease that a million people every year get, and that that knowledge spreads to all the doctors in the Commonwealth, then they can wipe out that disease disease and save a million lives. So from a purely utilitarian perspective, the ends absolutely justify the means in that case. Although we don't necessarily know that for sure. Because... Right, but Kloth is saying like that it was all worth it. Like Kloth's position is the... 
the impl- even if he doesn't say it outright, Quo's implicit position is the amount of lives that were saved by discoveries that Gibeah made more than justify the 20,000 people that he tortured to death. I don't think Rothfuss is making an argument one way or the other. I think he's just using this as an opportunity to illustrate something important about Quoth's character yeah. and something important about Simmons' character. Yeah, exactly. And I think this opposition might be important later. Definitely. This might end up being the conflict at you know that tears this friendship apart. Like not specifically about Gibeah, but specifically about the perspective of the greater good. Precisely. Yes. Well, I think they're going to remain best friends forever and that Sim's going to show up at the bar in the third book to, like, put everything right. Yeah, right. I'm an optimist and I do not agree with that. (laughs) Mm, It sounds like you're not as much of an optimist as you think you are. Yeah, apparently my optimism is lacking. (laughs) Yeah, Simmons saying we don't talk about it suggests that there's more than just like, oh, you know, we knew him or some of us got killed by him. I think that suggests that there's there's more to it than just being close to the, his ground. Yeah, it does suggest that that his family is implied in some way in Gebea's crimes. I wonder how the rest of Simmons' family feels about what Gebea did. Well, he says we don't talk about it, so it seems like oh, it's taboo in the yeah, family. It's like a family thing. Yeah, it's like if you had you know a Nazi granddad, chances are you wouldn't really talk about it. <laughs> Unless you're Christian Freeland. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, so okay, wait, don't tangent. I'm still working on this page. I I sense I sense a tangent. I was gonna read a letter. Oh, but, okay, uh... okay, I'm fine with reading a letter. And say I feel like we'll have more to talk about tomorrow anyway, so it's good. We can let her. Okay, this letter is from Mike the Mighty, who writes, Hey, Pagers, I'm new to emailing you guys, but I'm just finishing up the first book of the podcast, and it only took four months of binging. Did you know Bast, or Bastet, was an Egyptian goddess with her head in the shape of a cat? From Wikipedia, Bastet was originally viewed as a lioness goddess, a role shared by other deities such as Sekhmet. Eventually, Bastet and Sekhmet were characterized as two aspects of the same goddess, with Sekhmet representing the powerful warrior and protector aspect, and Bastet, who increasingly was depicted as a cat, representing a gentler aspect. Bastet was also depicted as the goddess of protection against contagious diseases and evil spirits. This plays to one of Bast's two faces of the caring friend to Reshi and the don't F with me face he gives to Chronicler. So along with all the references of Bast moving and acting like a cat and his fighting style of clawing and swiping, Rothfuss secretly hits you in the face with Bast's name deriving from a cat god, signed Mike the Mighty. P.S. Recommendation time. Bastet, the cat goddess herself, appears in one of my favorite reads, The Secrets of the Immortals... The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel by Michael Scott. It is a young adult coming-of-age story with all your favorite fantasy tropes. Sinister bad guys who follow orders from a more sinister and more secret bad guy. Immortal teacher training our young heroes with their newfound powers. Jeremy, there's even an appearance by the bard, William Shakespeare himself. He is an immortal historical figure who has never died, but lives as a junkyard owner and fights against the forces of evil. A six-book series that I very much enjoyed. Thanks. I've heard of it, and I'm into the idea of an ageless William Shakespeare uh, doing battle. I, I was aware of the the name of Bass. I feel like we got a letter on that Bastet. really early on, too. It's just like it's Probably. been years, I mean, literally, since we've gotten a letter regarding that. <laughs> I, like many others, had a brief period where I was super into Egyptian mythology, so I was very familiar with uh, Bast slash Bastet, the cat-headed goddess. And so initially I was a little bit 
I, I had a bit of whiplash encountering this character of Bast because I figure I the the name Bast to me was feminine, so it took me a little while to come around to Bast being a, a male character's name. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on the same page with you there, uh, and I think that. Uh, you're right, Mike, to point out that Bast, our Bast, the Bast of this novel, does share some cat-like attributes. And I wonder, I th- cats have also been associated with fairies and the fae, especially if you've ever seen a cat suddenly stare very intently at nothing. Uh, that's Some people used to think that that's because they could see like the spirit world or whatever. So if... Bast revealed that he had the ability to transform himself into a cat or something in the third book. I would not be surprised. So he's a goat and a cat is what you're telling me? Well, I've never believed that he was a goat. So uh, suck it. He's 100% a goat before he's a cat. No, you. <laughs> Listeners, you can weigh in on what kind of shapeshifter Bast is on tomorrow's page. Of? The wind. What would a goat anthrope be? Uh, yeah, what's like the Latin for for goat? Google it. I'm googling it right now. Capra. So it'd be a, a capra capra throat. Oh, of course, like Capricorn. That's, that's awesome. That makes sense. Exactly. Obviously, but actually, that rules. Capra throat. Capra throat. Also, capra-throat. though, begs the question. Yep. Why is a Capricorn not a unicorn goat and instead a goat mermaid? Because shouldn't a Capricorn be a unicorn but a goat? Well, corn means horn, so Capra just means goat horn. Right? So how does goat horn translate into a picture of a goat that is also a mermaid? I don't know. Google it. Well, you see, Jordana, when a goat and a fish love each other very much. (laughs)